Hey guys, Pastor David here. Uh, welcome to Victory Church. We're excited that you have uh, found us, that you're joining us today. We're a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. That is our vision here at Victory Church, and that is what we're praying will become a reality for us as a church here at Victory. So I'm glad that you guys found us. I'm glad that you're joining us today, and we're excited about kicking off this sermon here in just a moment. Man, God is good. So I got a quick question for you guys. Who in, who in here likes to camp? We got any campers in here? Anybody like to camp? Okay, a lot of hands. So I'm going to ask you another question. And I'm not talking about the luxurious style camping, like an RV or a cabin or something like that. I'm talking about like roughing it out there under the stars. Okay, I want to see the difference here. There's a few less, but most of you. Okay, awesome. Okay, cool. So it, it, let's, let's pretend like just for a moment we're all going to go camping together. Okay, what are some of the bare essential things that we're going to need if we go camping together? Like, just roughing it out there, just call it out. Anything that you can think of, what are some of the things we're going to need? Yeah, we're going to need sleeping bag. Yeah, right. Flashlight. Food. There you go. Okay, yeah, awesome. So you guys are ready, man. We just need to do this. Let's just go camping. Um, so, so those are some of like the bare essentials that we're going to need if we go camping together. But what is the best thing about camping? In my mind, it is the best thing about camping. It's something that we get to do. Um, we get to kind of start. We get to hang out by kind of later in the evening. It's it a little darker, a little colder. What's the, a campfire? Exactly. Man, that is the best thing about camping. I love campfires. There's just something about gathering around the campfire when you're camping and you're like roasting hot dogs or roasting marshmallows or s'mores together, the conversations that happen. Like it, it actually warms you up on the inside. You know what I mean? Like you can tangibly feel it warming you up on the inside, but it's not just us. It's also like the environment, the people around us, the conversations, everything around that campfire kind of starts getting warmed up by its heat and getting changed by the heat, right? Like, for example, when you go camping, where's the place usually that you're going to find people playing music, like a guitar or playing games or, you know, telling jokes, telling stories, even intimate conversations? Where does that usually happen when you go camping? It's around the campfire. That's right. It's around the campfire. There is something tangible about it, something transformational. It actually changes the heat, like, on the inside, the temperature of on the inside, Literally, but it also changes the, the atmosphere, the temperature of everybody else that gathers around it. The entire environment that gathers around draws near to that heat and actually stays there and consumes that heat that it draws out. And, and the thing, what we're going to learn today is the gospel is the same thing. The gospel does the same thing. It's like a, a temperature changer. The gospel is a temperature changer. It, it literally, when we, when we draw in close to the gospel and we actually take in its heat, consistently, then it actually changes us on the inside, the temperature of our life on the inside, but it changes the temperature of our life and the atmosphere around us as well. It's a temperature changer. The big idea today is the gospel causes transformation. The gospel causes transformation. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the gospel. I pray that this is something that never becomes just irrelevant or old in our life, I pray that you just continue just renewing our hearts and our minds and shaping and molding us, God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just continue to flood our lives and transform us, God. And that things that we hear today, that we go out, change, transformed by you, spreading the word about your gospel, about what you have done, Jesus, to as many people as possible, and not just through our words, but through our actions. And I pray that the text that we're going to be in today, that you just lighten it. You, you, just, you just help us to see it and read it and hear it in a fresh, new way. 
thank you and we praise you so much. We thank you also for the 4th of July, God, and what you've done for this country. But more specifically, Jesus, we thank you for what you've done on the cross and the freedom that we have because of you, only because of you. We thank you, we love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if, you are, if you're joining us for the first time today, if you've, you've never been here, it's your first time, or if you haven't been here for a few weeks, we've been diving into Galatians. I kind of mentioned this before in the announcements. Um, for the past few weeks, we've been in the book of Galatians, except for last week, took a little break, um, and uh, we, we, we just finished, wrapped up chapter two a couple of weeks ago. So today we're going to be launching chapter three, like diving into just the first few verses, the first nine verses. So um, go ahead and a uh, quick heads up. If you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and break it open. Chapter three, I'll give you a few moments to get there. If you've uh, never been to Galatians, you need to read this book. It's awesome, man. Small book, packs a big punch. Um, after first, uh, second Corinthians, a few books after the gospels, you see Galatians. So chapter three, that's where we're going to be at. So the first chapter, kind of the big, one of the big kind of main points that Paul hammers home time and time again, is the fact there's only one gospel and it never changes. There's only one gospel, and it never changes. And on top of that, something else that Paul tells us is that if you take away, if you add or take away um, anything at all to the truth of the gospel, it completely contaminates it, and it turns it into this false message. It's no gospel at all. It doesn't save. It only destroys. So there's only one gospel, and it never changes. That's chapter one. That's kind of the truth that we see Paul hammering home time and time again throughout that first chapter. And chapter two, the kind of the big picture truth, one of the big picture truths that we see Paul hammering home time and time again is this fact that we can only find our salvation when we turn away from all these other things that we've tried to search for salvation. And like, for example, our works or, or the law. That's a big thing that was happening in this church in Galatia. That's one of the reasons that Paul was writing this letter is because these Galatians, they were um, Gentiles. They weren't Jews. They'd never been Jews. They were being, um, infil- their church was being infiltrated, churches were being infiltrated by these people that were telling them, hey, you got to keep the Mosaic law, right? You got to do all these, these things. You got to do X, Y, and Z in order to actually be saved, right? In order to be accepted by God. And they were following through with this, even though Paul had told them before, no, it's grace alone. Christ alone. And so that was what happened. And so we have to turn away from all those other things that we've, we've run to in our life for salvation, and we've got to turn to the only one that can actually give us salvation, which is Jesus Christ. And he hammers that truth home all throughout that second chapter, but specifically in verse 20. I love that. It's like my, my favorite book, or one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And in other words, all the other things that Paul had searched for in his life previous to the gospel, previous to Jesus... Um, the idols in his life, even his own sinful fleshly attempts to try to save himself. Those things had died. They had been crucified with Jesus Christ on the cross. They were no longer a part of his life. It was only Jesus Christ that remained in his life for salvation. Another way of putting this is salvation is only found through grace alone by Christ alone. Grace alone, Christ alone. And he hammers that truth home several times throughout that chapter. And so that's kind of where we've been. That's like just kind of a quick heads up and, and recap. And today we're going to be diving into this third chapter, first few verses. So let's kick this off with just the first verse in Galatians chapter three. It says, you foolish Galatians. Man, what a way to start that off. That's the first thing he says, you foolish Galatians. Who has cast a spell on you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? So, I mean, notice his language, man. This is like the first thing that he says to them, you foolish Galatians. Another way of saying this is you fools. You fools. Like, imagine that. Imagine for a moment 
somebody comes up to you. You know this person. You respect him. You love him. You're like, oh, man, that's my boy Paul over there. I love that guy. He comes up to you. First thing he says is, you fool. Right? Or you get a letter from him, and you're like, oh, man, I can't wait to open this up. And bold uh, red letters at the top, it says, you fool. Would that get your attention? That probably gets your attention, right? Like, what in the world? And that's kind of part of the point here. He wants to grab their attention, and he wants them to know, man, they have done something really dumb. They've done something really, really dumb, and what's worse is they know better. They, they know better. And then he follows this up. He doesn't just stop there by saying, you fools. He keeps on going. He says, who has cast a spell on you? Who has cast a spell on you? In other words, what they have done is so dumb. It's so dumb, and they know better. They are essentially headed towards this spiritual cliff. Like, I mean, foot is down on the gas pedal as hard as it'll go, headed towards a spiritual cliff. They know better, but it's almost as if somebody has cast a spell on them and completely blinded them to the truth, like they don't see anything that's going on, and they don't even see the truth anymore. Who has cast a spell on you, you fools? And that's his opening statement. That's his opening line right there in this, in this third chapter. And then he does something that Paul does best, man. Something that we see him doing all throughout his letters, all throughout the New Testament. He wrote so much of the New Testament. And we see him pointing us, the Galatians and us as the readers, towards the cross. Right there from the get-go. This is the first verse. Pointing us towards the cross. In fact, if you were to take, um, if you were to kind of encapsulate or, or capture in a still frame picture everything that Paul preached about, talked about, wrote about, and all of his letters throughout the New Testament. In one still frame picture, what you would most likely see is Paul standing there pointing with one hand to a cross and an empty tomb and then pointing with the other hand to Jesus Christ because that is the heart of the gospel, the heart of the gospel, Jesus Christ in your place, on your cross for your sins, the empty tomb, and salvation is available to anyone who calls on his name and faith. The heart of the gospel, and that is the heart of what Paul preaches about, teaches about, writes about. And he's reminding us, he's bringing the Galatians and us back to this right from square one, right from the beginning, just as he so often does. Because it's the heart of the gospel, the heart of the message he preaches, good news. So let's keep on going to this. This is verse one. Let's go to verse two. It says, I only want you, I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? There it is again. Are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you not finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing? If in fact it was for nothing, so then does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by, doing, by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard? And notice here, see, Paul's asking this question. And this question, it really, the surrounding text kind of hinges on this question. It's a big deal. It's really important. He actually asked the same question two times in the first five verses. He says, catch this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? In other words, what he's kind of essentially asking is, look, did, did, you, did you save yourself, um, uh, were you saved rather through your works or were you saved through Christ's completed work? Were you saved through your works or were you saved through Christ's completed work? See, Paul's kind of bringing these Galatians back to the kind of like just the basics here. And he's saying, look, look, I I get that you weren't just saved yesterday. Okay, I I get that. I acknowledge that. But here's the thing. Let's trace the ball back all the way to the beginning. Let's like, let's, let's rewind this tape all the way back to the very, very beginning. Okay, where did your salvation come from in the first place? Where did it come from in the first place? Did you save yourself? Is that what it was? You, you saved yourself? 
Or did you find some other means, some other way for salvation? Did you earn it? Like through your money, your good dues, you, you were good enough, right? You impressed God, and that's how you, you got your salvation or in the world somewhere? Or did you receive it, receive it from the scandalous grace of God found only in it through Jesus Christ? Is that where you received it? That's it, man. See, God, Paul is bringing us back to our roots, back to the foundation of our faith, back to the foundation of the gospel and our salvation. See, before we were saved, we, we tried to earn our salvation. And there were several ways that we would do this. We tried to earn our salvation. We tried to, try to um, earn our, for example, acceptance. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We tried to earn our acceptance a couple of ways that we tried to do this. And this was pre-Christ, pre-salvation. We tried to earn this. We tried to earn it through the world or even try to earn it from God before we even knew him. Try to earn it from, from the world by trying to be good enough, right? Try, trying to please people, trying to be good enough and, and, and trying to earn their acceptance or trying to earn it from God by trying to be holy enough. Right? I got I to gotta read the Bible enough. I got to go to church enough. I got I to gotta do this or that you know, in order to earn his acceptance. And we talked about a couple of weeks ago how we are 100% accepted by God. It's not because of what we've done. It's because of what Jesus Christ has done in our place. 100% accepted by him. And that's one of the things that we would try to do, trying to earn our salvation, trying to, trying to work for our salvation, earning acceptance. And something else that we would try to do, we try to earn, um, we try to find comfort and pleasures in life. You know, trying to find anything and everything that we can get our hands on. Maybe this will give me comfort. Maybe that will. You know, trying to help us cope with the pressures, the stresses, the heartaches, the pains of life. You know, maybe if, uh, you know, I buy enough stuff. Maybe if I have en enough stuff, if I buy enough clothes, if I, if I buy another car, if I get a bigger house, that'll make me happy. That'll fulfill me. That, that'll give me that satisfaction I'm longing for. If I, you know, maybe if I, if I drink enough alcohol, I'll keep on drinking. That's going to help me. Right? That'll help me kind of fill that void in my life. How about this one? If I, if I look at pornography, if I look at this pornography, or if I use this person over there for my own satisfaction, maybe that'll help me. That, that'll fill that void in my life, right? Or drugs or all kinds of things. Or this person, this spouse. We look for all these different things in life, trying to find, just meet that comfort and that, that fulfillment, that satisfaction that we long for and trying to save ourselves through this process. Earn that salvation. Another way that we try to do this is by trying to gain control. We try to gain control on different things. And it's kind of this, this mindset that the more control I have, the more security and stability that I have in my life. If I can just gain more control, then I'll have more security and I'll have more stability. And that's kind of this mindset. If I don't have control, then I won't have security or stability. But what happens is with this crazy twisted mindset... Um, it's just a, a lie from the enemy, man, is the more control that we get when we have this mindset, like that's where the stability um, comes from. We get this control and it just leaves us empty. It just leaves us empty. And then you end up thinking, okay, well, I got to get more control. I got to keep on going. I got to keep on getting more and more and more. We look for it in other ways. And we keep on getting emptier and emptier and emptier. And it's just a sick, ongoing cycle in our lives. See, this is some of the, just some of the things that we would do before Christ, to trying to earn our salvation, earn that acceptance, that fulfillment, the significance, the peace, the hope, these things that we, we need and we long for and we look for in anything and everything, anyone that we could. But the, something amazing happened for us as Christians when God got a hold of us, didn't it? Something amazing happened when God got a hold of us as Christians, right? You guys can say something. He, Something amazing happened, right? There you go. Awesome. There you go. 
All of a sudden, all those things that we look for in life, the acceptance, the significance, the peace, the hope, all these things that we need that we long for in our life, they were 100% met in and through Jesus. 100% met in and through Jesus. And there was a period of time whenever, whenever we were first saved. You think back to when you were first saved. For some of you, maybe that's, that's happened recently. But think back. You were on fire for Christ, right? It's this, it's this time in your life where you know, okay, I've gone from death to life. Like something is changing in my life. I can feel it. It is tangible. God is just heating up my life on the inside. It is evident to me. It's evident to the world around me. Things are changing. It is awesome. It's like being on cloud nine. You are on fire for Christ, on fire for the gospel. And people see it. You see it in your life. People see it around you, and it's incredible. And I, and I love, man, I love being around um, like baby Christians. You know what I mean? Like people that have just gotten saved. There's something just so awesome about it. It's just, you can see it in them. It's just contagious, that fire that they have. But given enough time, the sad reality is, given enough time for most of us as Christians, that fire starts to dwindle. You know what I mean? That fire starts to dwindle in our life, given enough time. And it's, it's evident to us. It's evident to the people around us. And we're not seeing things, you know, changing in our life as much and kind of going back to some of those old habits and people around us are seeing it, right? And, and then we use these excuses and, and we'll say things like, well, sinful world, a hard world, man. It's a sinful world and gosh, the pressures of life and the craziness of life and it's just really hard, right? And, and, and you know, it's, 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 all, it's, it's, it's the world's fault. It's my job's fault or, we'll, you know, blame it on other people or, you know, just the pain, my schedule, I just got a busy schedule. I can't do this anymore. I don't have time to read the Bible or, you know, all these other things. We can come up with all kinds of excuses. But in the end, here's the thing. The reason, hear me on this, the reason that fire for Christ and for the gospel has, has dwindled in our lives, the reason that it starts to dwindle, guys, is not because of all these other excuses, you know, all these other people, these places, these things, these circumstances. It's not because of those things. It's because of the person in the mirror. Because of you and me, we are the ones that cause that fire to dwindle in our life. And here's the thing. Hear me on this. Hear me on this. Nothing can ever extinguish that fire in your life. Okay, let me say it like this. Once saved, always saved. All right? Once saved, always saved. Nothing can ever extinguish that. But the fire can start to dwindle in our lives. Does that make sense? Difference there. And the reason is, again, because of us, some of the things that we do, we, start, we stop fanning the flame of the gospel in our life. We stop fanning that flame and we stop being warmed up by its heat, changed, transformed by its heat on a consistent basis. And when we stop praying for and working with the Holy Spirit and asking him to throw gasoline on that fire to make it grow bigger and stronger and brighter than it's ever been in our life. And we stop doing these things. You guys hear me on this. The reason that the fire dwindles in our life, the reason the fire for Christ dwindles in our life. The reason that we don't see transformation in our life, it's been years and it's like, man, I'm still struggling with the same things in the same way that I did years ago and I don't see this transformation in my life that we're talking about on Sundays. The reason that when we talk about things like, for example, telling people about Jesus or actually discipling somebody um, you know, for Christ and we talk about those things and you're like, man, I, I don't remember the last time I actually did that. Reason for these things, guys, because we have stopped fanning the flame of the gospel in our life. 
We stop fanning the flame. And guys, when we stop fanning the flame of the gospel in our life, just like a campfire, what happens when you start backing up from that fire? Start getting colder. Start getting colder. And as we start getting colder in our life as Christians, we start going right back to the sinful tendencies that we had before we knew Christ, as though he's done nothing for us. That's why so many Christians walk around, and they look, they act, they talk as though they're uh, more like atheists than they do children of God who have been redeemed by grace. So many Christians. Guys, the gospel is not just for salvation. Hear me on this. The gospel is, is not just for salvation. It's continual need in our life. We must be continually reminded of its truths, warmed and heated up by its presence, and transformed by its power on a consistent basis. Let's keep on going to the last part of the text that we're going to be in today, verses 6 through 9. Just like Abraham, who believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness, you know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's son. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith, hear this, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. So if you remember back in Genesis, go back to, to Genesis in your mind for me. And, uh, you know, Abraham, this man that's raised up by God. And Abraham was the father of a great nation, Israel, right? And uh, Israel was God's chosen people. But here's the thing. We've got to understand this and catch me on this. God's plan from the get-go, even though Israel was God's chosen people, God's plan from the very, very beginning, from the beginning of time, was to save all nations, to save everybody, for people from all nations, all tribes, all tongues. I mean, go back to John uh, chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the, what? The world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That was his plan from the very beginning, was to save people of all nations. And so I want you to picture with me for just a moment. Picture the gospel as like this big old huge fire. Anybody been to like one of those huge big old bonfire type things? It's like just massive fire. You guys been to one of those? I love those things, man. Um, you're going to think I'm like a pyro or something. I just like fire. But um, just think about like a huge, massive um, bonfire, right? And, and that's kind of this picture of the gospel, all right? So God raised up um, this man, Abraham, right? So you got Abraham. This is going to be my fire over here. This is going to turn into fire. Awesome. Um, this is really cool. So God used Abraham. He raised up Abraham and Isaac and Israel, right? It's Jacob. And God changed his name to Israel, right? He had the 12 sons, 12th tribe of Israel, right? He used those men, raised them up, and they were essentially kind of like the kindling that God used to start this fire, to kind of get it started and get it going, right? And then what God did was he raised up these other men, like, for example, Moses and Joshua and the judges and King David, the prophets, all these other guys, and they fanned that flame of the gospel, right? They were just fanning that, that flame, and they were causing it to grow bigger, but the main thing is they were fanning to keep it alive, to keep it going throughout the generations, throughout the years, right? All of those years before this guy named Jesus came on the scene. 
And Jesus was like gasoline to this fire. I wish this thing could go way up here. He was like gasoline just pouring all over this fire. And he caused it to grow bigger and brighter and stronger than it's ever been. And he spread it like wildfire. And then he raised up these other men, these, these disciples and apostles like, like Paul, for example, and Peter, all these other guys. And they, he, he taught them and he also empowered them to do the same thing. They were like gasoline to this fire, causing it to go bigger and brighter and stronger, more powerful. And also uh, just uh, uh, spreading it like wildfire. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. We have to understand that this task of spreading this fire, the gospel like, like wildfire, to, to as many people as possible, that task is not complete yet. That task, the mantle has been passed down to us. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. God is still in us. The Holy Spirit is living in us just like he lived in the apostles, the disciples, the early church. He's still living inside of us. That mantle has been passed down to us. And now it's our job to spread the gospel, the fire of the gospel to as many people as possible. That mantle's been passed down to us. Continue fanning the flame and spreading it to the people around us. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. We've not just been tasked to fan the flame and spread it to the people around us. And sometimes we do a couple of things. Sometimes we won't do, um, you know, fan it at all and spread it at all. And sometimes, especially, um, um, you know, for uh, us as disciples and pastors, and I got to be careful too with this as well, we'll start fanning the flame and spreading it to people around us, but we'll forget to do something else. We'll get to fan the flame of the gospel in our own life. Fan the flame of the gospel in in our own life. And as we do this, we start to grow colder. What we have to understand is we are sinners that have been redeemed by grace. Sinners that have been redeemed by grace. Hear me on this. The hard fact of life for us as Christians is we will never get to a point. You will never get to a point in your life where you do not struggle with sin in this life. Ever. That's that's the hard fact of life. You will never get to a point where you do not struggle with sin in this life, this side of heaven. And if we do not consistently fan the flame of the gospel in our life, we will grow colder and we will go right back to those same sinful tendencies that we once knew before we ever even knew Christ. We'll go right back to them. To the gospel, it's a temperature changer. It's an environment changer. It demands change in our life. But we have to consistently submerse ourselves in it. We have to remind ourselves of its truths. Warm the cold, sinful, dark parts of our life on a consistent basis and be changed and transformed by its power on a consistent basis. But here's, here's the incredible news. Here's something that's incredible. You ready for this? God doesn't leave us alone to do this by ourselves. He doesn't, he doesn't just save you. right? You're not just saved one day. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the shed blood of Jesus Christ on my place for salvation. Bam, you're saved. All right, good. Hey, peace out. I'll see you in heaven. That's what God does. Thank God that's not what he does. I'd be in trouble. He sends somebody. Who who does he send? Who does he send to us? The Holy Spirit. And he goes by, you know, several names and several titles, comforter, the guider, right, the helper. He sends us the Holy Spirit. We're going to be diving into who the Holy Spirit is more in depth as we keep on going on in this book. But for now, just understand the Holy Spirit is God in us. He is 100% God. He is 100% living inside of us. Every single one of us, from the moment that you are saved, the moment of rebirth of salvation, the Holy Spirit, God in us, comes to live and dwell in us. He's the third person in the Godhead, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And, and his job, 
his task in our life, his mission in your life individually and also us collectively as the body of Christ globally is to make us and mold us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. That's his job. Make us and mold us more and more like Jesus. And like this big, the theological word for this is sanctification, the process of sanctification, the process of becoming more and more like, like Jesus, the process of becoming more and more holy. So that's his job. And one of the main ways that he does this, catch this, one of the main ways that he does this is by illuminating the gospel in our life, throughout our life. He illuminates the gospel in our life, throughout our life, and also around us, too. And he does this, he does this at salvation at the very beginning, and it's called justification, another one of those big, you know, Christianese theological words, justification. All that means, justification, justified, you have been made right, you've been made clean before God. It's kind of like this picture of a, um, imagine a, a, a judge banging down his, his gavel and saying, declaring once and for all, you are justified, you are clean, you are clear, you have been made right, all your sins, all your wrongdoings, past, present, and future are, are um, covered. You are justified, you have been made righteous, made right before God. And the reason that we can be declared as justified, as righteous before God, is because, catch this, Jesus credits his righteousness, his righteousness to our account to your account at salvation, at rebirth. He credits his righteousness to your account. So think about it, think about it like this. <clears throat> you, were, <clears throat> you were once in debt, more than you could ever pay. I mean, all the riches, all the gold, all the money in the world could not pay off your debt. Nothing could ever pay it off. And, and because you were in so much debt, you were a prisoner, you were in bondage, in slavery with no escape. And nobody around you could help you either. You couldn't help yourself. Nobody around you could help you. In bondage and slavery and captivity forever. But then Jesus. But then Jesus. And there should be a period right there. Jesus came. And he credited his worth to your account. His righteousness to your account. Stand his name down as a sign of approval and said, I will pay anything and everything that is owed for him or her. It belongs to me now. He belongs to me now. That is why as Christians, we can boldly declare, I have been bought with a price. I have been redeemed. I have been set free. I have a new name. I'm no longer the sin I struggle with. I belong to Jesus Christ. As the gospel in four words, Jesus in our place. Jesus in our place. It's not about what we've done. It's about what Jesus has done for us. But we have to understand the Holy Spirit, he illuminates the gospel like we just talked about, but it's not just its salvation. He doesn't just illuminate the gospel in our lives at salvation. And see, a lot of times, that's where we stop. It's like, okay, that's the gospel message. Yeah, salvation. Okay, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I've been saved. Cool. I don't need to hear that story anymore. And we stop there. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit does not stop illuminating the gospel in our lives at salvation. The Holy Spirit, catch this, the Holy Spirit's work in your life is not finished. It is not complete at salvation. The Holy Spirit's work in your life has just begun at salvation. It's just begun. And guys, if you look at your life, if you reflect on your life, and you, and you think about it, and you're like, man, I, I don't really see any change, any fruit like they talk about, right? Any change in my life, any transformation from the time that, you know, I, I, I've been saved. I don't see any transformation in love, in love. There's something very, very seriously wrong with that picture. Very seriously wrong with that picture. 
Because that is a complete contradiction to the truth of the gospel that continues transforming, shaping, and molding our life, gets us throughout our life. A continual process. But we have to continually be warmed by the fire of the gospel in order for that transformation to continue throughout our life. And this kind of generates the question, okay, well, how are we warmed by the fire of the gospel? How are we warmed by this fire of the gospel? Three ways I want to hit on. First one is stop trying to start a fire that's already been lit. Stop trying to start a fire that's already been lit. Because we got to stop trying to find our salvation, our acceptance, significance, purpose, hope, peace, and all these other things in life. We've got to stop trying, trying to earn it from God, right, by, by being good enough, doing enough good deeds. We've got to stop trying to find it in, in a bottle, right, of alcohol or, or drugs or, or people or your spouse. I'm going to tell you something. Your spouse is, is going to let you down. If you try to find it in a person, they will fail you. And so often, you know, we look at our spouses and we're like, man, well, I mean, why, why didn't you do this? You didn't fulfill this in my life. You didn't do this for me. They are not your savior. And neither are your kids, or your job, or your money, drugs, anything, pornography. We can't find it in anything else but Jesus. We've got to stop looking to all these other things. We've got to lean on Jesus. Look to Jesus. Guys, no other fire can give us the hope, the fulfillment, the satisfaction that we need and that we long for other than the fire of the gospel. Number one, stop trying to start a fire that's already been lit. Number two, don't stop fanning the flame. Don't stop fanning the flame. Continually remind yourself about the truths of the gospel. Don't ever let it become something that's just mundane. I've already heard that. I, that's, that's old news. That's, that's for salvation. That's for, for people that don't know Jesus. Don't ever let it become that in your life, man. Remind yourself of it. The moment that we start thinking that we're past it, that we don't need to be reminded about the truth of the gospel anymore, it is the moment that we stop fanning the flame of the gospel in our life. And the moment that you stop fanning that flame of the gospel in your life is the moment you start going cold. And you start going right back to the same sinful tendencies that you had before. Looking, acting the same, if not worse, than you did before you ever even knew Jesus. What happens? So many of us as Christians... Some of the ways we remind ourselves of the gospel through the word, by diving into it individually, collectively as a church, what we're doing now, you know, through sermons, and again, individually, not just on Sundays, man, don't just, don't just listen to me preach, please, like, listen to other people, there's, there's, there's so many podcasts in today's world, man, we have so many avenues, so many ways to listen to sermons, um, you dive it into the word, praying, worshiping um, individually, and also collectively at church. And then gathering together, doing life together throughout the week. And you know, one of the ways we're able to do that, the life group that meets here um, on Wednesdays. But then also gathering together, too, and other times doing life together. Pointing each other towards Jesus. You don't have to just dive into the word. That's to be the center of it, Jesus and the word of God. But then also just doing life, man. Holding each other accountable. And giving, reminding each other of the blessings in life. And another way we do it is by looking for the gospel in everyday life. And this is something that doesn't just come naturally. We, we have drifted so far from this, so far from looking um, for the gospel in everyday life. Not just, we kind of associate the gospel again for like salvation or, or, you know, that's what we talk about at church. Guys, it's everywhere. 
It is everywhere. I mean, the moment that you get out of bed and you think, wow, this is a brand new day. Where did this day come from? And not only do I have a brand new day right now, I have a brand new day for eternity because of Jesus in my place. And the, the, the breath in our lungs, where did that air come from? And all the blessings in life that our family, and, and not just to have a family here and now, but we've got an eternal family. And then when you look outside, the trees, the grass, the, I mean, all these different things in the universe, and you look at the mass, just the expanse of the universe that God has created, and we're like, wow, God, you are awesome. And that's all a love note for you. From him to you. Everywhere you go, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing, remind yourself, look for the gospel in every day of life and remind yourself of it. Number three, this is the last one, spread the fire. Spread the fire. And don't just, don't just fan that flame of the gospel. Man, throw gasoline on that thing. Pray for the Holy Spirit just to throw gasoline on that thing, making it bigger and brighter than it's ever been before in your life and through your life. Because let's spread the gospel like a wildfire in this community to as many people as possible until Morganton, North Carolina is consumed in the fire of the gospel, completely consumed in the fire. This is where God has planted us, not just in this church, but in this community. Let's spread the gospel, the fire of the gospel to as many people as possible. And remember that everywhere you go, the Holy Spirit, God is in you. And he is just waiting and ready to ramp up the temperature of every single place, every single room that you step in. Ready. He's waiting. It's not that we're waiting on God. He's waiting on us. Worship team, you guys can come on up. If you're here today and you've, you've, never, you've never heard about this Jesus before, um, maybe you've heard the gospel before, but... You're hearing it for uh, just in a fresh new way. That's the Holy Spirit working on you. That's not me. That's the Holy Spirit. And and what I want to encourage you is if he is, if he's convicting you of some things and maybe you've never responded, then please don't leave here today without responding to him. He loves you. We talk about this all the time. He loves you. God loves you. He will meet you where you're at and he will save you where you're at. No matter where you're at in your life. You don't have to wait until you're good enough. You're never going to be good enough. Have to get through a 12-step program. Wait until you're done with all these things that you're struggling with, and I got to get better at that until God's going to accept me and save me. It doesn't work like that. We'll meet you where you're at, and we'll save you where you're at. So please, if that's you today. God's working on you. You've never responded no way. And if you're here today, and maybe the, the fire has dwindled in your life, and you've noticed, man, I've been saved. I know that fire's still here. Once saved, always saved. But I've really noticed it's, it's dwindled in my life, and God's convicting you of that. That I want to encourage you, man. Call out to Him. Call out to him. Right where you're at, you can come up to the altar. Call out to him. And pray, God, Holy Spirit, just, just renew this fire in my life. Renew this. Let me never forget what you've done for me, Jesus. Guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I just want I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to to respond in some way today, because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we um, whatever it may may be, the point of that is. Um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, 
then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me? What do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to him. And I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life, God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, there comes something else. It's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's the symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, 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 uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So. Um, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.